Welcome to the Black Men Think Podcast. If this is your first time here, know that the views and opinions expressed by the Black Men Think Podcast, are those of the Black Men Think Podcast and not the individual members. With that being said we're about to be unapologetically, undeniably black. Enjoy. Yeah, man, we're here. Um, I, I don't even yeah. know where to begin with this one. <laughs> I, I feel like we're on a run. We're talking to our GSU family. Well, it's because there's a lot of greatness that came from GSU. I mean, but just let's just go ahead and put it out there. The, G, the Georgia the State University. Georgia. <laughs> I was going to go there, and uh, I'm glad you said it. But uh, today, um, then we have a brother who I'm, I'm super proud of, and whether he know it or not, I, I look at his IG very intently and and um uh, i'm super proud of of who he is and particularly what his his shape and and shaping his children and and the way that he puts on his his wife on a pedestal i love that and, and just everything that he's doing so um without further ado we have jamal greer on the black man thing podcast bro how you doing i'm good man i appreciate y'all brothers having me hey yes sir we, anytime, anytime we can get some Georgia State alum on, on the podcast, bro, we all for it. We all for it. <laughs> and, and low key, low key, Jamal, Jamal, he 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 was the uh, the trendsetter before we ever arrived. You know, I mean, we uh, he, he was already on, on campus, already, you know, swag surfing <laughs> and, and so on and so forth in the plaza. You know, Tuesdays and Thursdays before we ever knew anything about it, we were still drinking Similac. You know, he was in the building. <laughs> So tell us, you know, just kind of reflecting on, on that. I know uh, we, we kind of just mentioned it, but um, our, I, and I honestly, I don't remember our first encounter at Georgia State at all, but it's just kind of like one of those things where we just knew mutual, I think mutual people and it kind of started from there. So uh, if you want, just kind of talk about <clears throat> that time period, you know, for, for you and, and um, we can kind of go from there. Yeah, man, G GSU was transformational. Um, it definitely changed the trajectory of my life. So I'm born and raised in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin at that. So um, knew I wanted to move to Atlanta after like 96 hearing uh, Southern playlist of Cadillac music. Hey. Um, <laughs> after hey. some cousins of mine had been down here from Olympics, <laughs> brought that tape back, the cassette tape back uh, to Madison. Um, and Not so the cassette. Yeah, the cassette tape, and I dubbed it on a little, you know, you had to, back then I had the double cassette, so I had the two stereos face to face, <laughs> playing and recording. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so when I had the opportunity to come to Georgia State, I actually uh, was coming to, I like, wanted to move to, to the South. Um, I had applied to Alabama State and Tennessee State, um, and then my brother got into the Art Institute of Culinary Arts here in Atlanta, because um, <clears throat> I went to D3 school to play basketball first. Um, and then when he was coming down, I didn't have the grades or the money to go to Tech or Morehouse. Um, I didn't really know any other schools down here. I didn't have the grades to go to UGA. I actually Googled colleges and universities in Atlanta. And mm. the first one that popped up was Georgia State. Wow. Um, saw the website, I was like, oh, this is dope. I applied, got in. I had never been to Georgia State until the first day I got to register for my classes. Wow, wow. Had never seen Crazy. Anything. Right. So got there, man, met solid brothers like y'all, uh, my, my brothers D and Cornelius and Reggie. Shout out, Corey. shout out. 
Yeah, the so squad. Yeah. On nine guys. Um, yeah. Sisters, uh, Elise and Elena, Rolanda, mm-hmm. you know, all of them. And then the best part, uh, met my wife uh, at Georgia State. Yes, sir. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, dude, it was to this day my, my main network of people who I still kind of keep in contact with and work out with. Shout out to my boys, uh, Mike Robinson and Rashad. Um, hey, Black. What's up, Black? Yeah, so we still kick it uh, weekly thing there. Uh, <clears throat> so it was super transformational, man. Uh, like I said, I met my wife. Here we are 18 years and two kids later. Um, and I'm, and I'm a, basically, I've been in Atlanta. Matter of fact, I've been in Atlanta now longer than I ever lived in Wisconsin. I can relate. Just that summer. Yeah, so Georgia State was, was amazing. That was my first time having, like, Black professors, Black teachers, um, seeing Black cops, Black politicians. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people, you know, if you're from the South, I think a lot of people take it for granted. Um, and when you grow up in the city, uh, I had two black teachers my entire K through sophomore year of college and I transferred to Georgia State. Two. Wow. Third grade, third grade um, and senior year. I'm sorry, three. I had third grade, Miss Evans, 11th grade history, Miss Parks and senior year weight training, Coach Davis. I could, wow. Uh, right. That was Unreal. it. Real. That was it. Never had a black principal. Um, my mom was one of only three black guidance counselors in the entire um, district. So it was it was a whole different experience um, growing up, never being more than three or four kids of color in the classroom, K-12. Mm. And then come to Georgia State and like literally getting culture shock in reverse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, my, my, never forget my first experience. My first class had to be have to be uh, African African American studies. Uh, cool. Shout out to you, Moja. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 the great the GSU goat. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was his TA who was running the class at the time, and I was just sitting there in shock because it was like only two white kids in the whole class, and it's like thirty kids in GCB. Mm. Uh, and I'm just looking around. They ask a question. I answer a question. The next question, he calls a young lady. And she, he goes, you got something to say? She's like, no, no, not about this, but about, I got a question for him, pointing at me. Mm-hmm. He was like, where are you from? You talk different. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I go, Wisconsin. The entire class in unit. <laughs> Wes. Yeah. Oh, man. Wisconsin. So, Discovery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But GSU was amazing, man. That's real. So look, I, I just got one question. Where did the passion come from, like, to pour into to the youth? Like, where did that really come from? Because we see it so so often, but, like, where does your passion to, to pour into youth come from? I appreciate it. Um, I think it's twofold. It's, one, my parents, and then, two, my journey. Um, my dad um, has been a youth pastor, uh, done prison fellowship, um, led youth groups, even to this day, he's, uh, his, his job is to help churches set up men's ministries um, and strengthen fathers and husbands. Uh, my mom, was, like I said, was a guidance counselor. So they used to run, from the time I can remember I was born, they ran Young Life um, youth groups. Those aren't familiar with Young Life, it's like a nationwide uh, youth ministry program. Um, and so they've been young, running Young Life youth groups. I mean, I have baby pictures I'm in within holding being held by one of their uh, high school uh, members, people, students of the youth group. Wow. Um, that's one big piece. Um, that's all I've ever seen is my parents give back and pour into people. And then 
Two, I was that kid, you know, even though I came from a great home, two parents, my parents been married, I'm 40, 42, 42 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, dad was always in the picture. Mom was always in the picture, super active, prayed from every day, kept me involved and stuff. I was still a knucklehead. Um, okay. <clears throat> went to uh, two middle schools and three high schools. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that part. <laughs> really? Um, he was getting yeah, yeah, yeah. temper issues. Okay, so um, you 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 was murking a few of them on, along the way, huh? Yeah, man. I was I wasn't I was and I wasn't uh I wouldn't start it, but as soon as it started, I wasn't stopping until I ended it. I got so you. That that was my issue. So I was never an instigator. I was never no bully. I was actually a small kid growing up. Dude, I was shoot five five nine five ten buck fifty when I graduated high school. Um, um so knowing the importance of the mentors and the, the, the network and support system my parents put around me um, and how that guided me and, and basically saved my life is there's no way without that I wouldn't be in jail or dead by now the way yeah. I was going at 16 17 um, yeah. and so from that point on I knew like I need to make sure if, if I needed that with two parents in the household and, 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 a, and a very strong Christian household then I knew you know the importance of what I could do um, helping out others who didn't have that. Wow. And, and you mentioned your journey too, Jamal. Um, you know, tell us, I mean, how, how did that childhood develop into a student who, you know, was college bound and then from college, obviously the many different facets of Georgia State, the, the different type of people that you experienced there. How did that launch you into a future in child development? Gotcha. Yeah. So actually, I was not a college-bound student. <laughs> okay. Okay. Dude, I graduated high school with a 1.8 accumulative GPA. Wow. Um, right. Uh, my mother, like I said, was a guidance counselor and an alum of the school I originally went to, UW Whitewater. Uh, it's a small D3 school in Wisconsin, right in between Madison and Milwaukee. Um, she's an alumni, um, graduated summa cum laude, there, and then was also sending a ton of talented students there. Um, and so she actually filled out my college application and she talked, um, with the director of diversity and some admissions folks and got me in. <clears throat> so that's how I even got to college in the first place. Um, so, and I was not a college bound student at all. <laughs> um, thank the Lord for a praying mother. Um, so she got me in, but one thing, <laughs> even, even before that I did, I loved working like basketball camps. Okay. Originally I wanted to be a PE teacher. I'm like, I like sports. I like teaching kids how to play sports. I'm gonna be a PE teacher. Um, by the time I got to G State and I finished my prereqs, uh, I did not score well in like other sciences and stuff. So um, having to take anatomy phys and kinesiology and all of that kind of stuff, man, while, you know, I've been working two, three jobs. I was at Georgia State too. A lot of people don't know that. Um, it was- I, I, I don't even think I knew that. Yeah, dude, I was working at City Atlanta Parks and Rec. Um, City Atlanta Parks and Rec, and I was working for the Atlanta Hawks Community Development uh, Department in wow. uh, Bloomingdale's. <laughs> That's a mixture, man. Yeah, dude, but I, you know, I, I was down here by myself. So I didn't yeah, yeah. I had to pay rent, I had to pay tuition, I had to do all of that. So I met a, wow. um, I ended up getting an advisor named Dr. Calloway. I don't know if y'all ever met Jimmy Calloway at Georgia State. He was super dope one of like the best kept secrets there he was basically like because i had a, a bad av- a advisor to that me take some classes i shouldn't have took so anyway he was like dude you can switch into recreation management 
run rec programs and youth programs and not have to do student teaching or continue, keep taking kinesiology and all those kind of courses. I changed my major right there in his office. Mm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, he actually got my first job working in City Atlanta Parks and Rec. I loved it. Um, still keeping contact with those kids to this day. That was 2004, I think, or three or four. Mm -hmm. They're grown. Uh, one just had her second child. So, I mean, it's just a, an amazing journey. It's hard coaching there, coaching basketball. First basketball team, my coach was there, eight and under basketball team. Okay. Um, and then uh, from there, just really always wanted to be involved with that. So I went from City of Atlanta Parks and Rec. Uh, actually, I went to from Fulton County Parks and Rec to City of Atlanta, City of Roswell, City of East Point Parks and Rec. Okay. Um, and Atlanta City politics, as you all know, is it's super crooked and lazy. Right, so mm -hmm. Parks and Rec is no different. Okay. Uh, so when I graduated with a degree in recreation and sports management, they wouldn't give me a full-time job in the city of Atlanta. Uh, I had one actually coworker tell me, "Do you? they're not gonna hire you because you're either gonna take their job or you're gonna make them have to work hard. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these folks don't want to do that. Um, so it's kind of stuck for a minute. And my brother, Deion Harrison, man, <clears throat> shout out to Deion Harrison, he actually, um, was with a nonprofit called Communities and Schools of Atlanta. Um, they do dropout prevention in elementary, middle school, elementary, middle, and high schools all throughout um, Metro Atlanta. Um, <clears throat> and so he got me an interview. I used to run an open gym at Peachtree Hills at, when I was working for City Atlanta. He came and was like, yo, you really go with those kids? Would you want to work in the school system? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes. And so he got me in there. Um, and shout out to him. He actually owns Milk and Honey off of Cascade now. So. No I'm way. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know Milk and Honey. I used to get my hair cut right beside Milk and Honey. Yeah. So that's that's his restaurant. So they actually went to the school system and, and, did, and he's been killing it. But uh, but when, when I got with community schools, I was placed uh, at Kennedy Middle School. Now it's, it's no longer. It's another school now. But it was Kennedy Middle School in the Bluff. And if you're familiar with Atlanta, the Bluff is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the you know. Bluff. You know, snow in the Bluff, all that. Yeah. Right, right. Laurie, um, all of that, man, and loved it. Loved it. Had a great work family there, man. We did a lot of good stuff there. A lot of turnaround mm -hmm. projects there. Um, still talked to a lot of those students. I actually just talked to one today. He's going to grad school. Um, awesome. Yeah, so that was an amazing experience. Four years there. Left Kennedy because um, they had some financial communities and schools, actually, when the when that uh, housing market and crashed, they lost some funding, too. So... <clears throat> Left city with up there, um, end up going with Boys and Girls Club, helping launch the uh, one of the two pilot sites for the Centers of Hope, America Sam Reed Centers of Hope Initiative over in Thomasville Heights, which is another oh. right, right connected to Four Seasons Project. Yeah. Um, yeah, another hood. If you know Atlanta, you know Four Seasons is like the car theft capital of the state. Yep. Um, but once again, a place where you can make a huge difference. Um, any impact you make is magnified just because, you know, it's not happening there for a lot of these kids. So yeah, um, that's around the time, you know, you start hearing kids tell you, hey, Mr. Greer, you know, you're the only, once you get a load of this, like you're the only dad I've ever known. Like, I don't I don't know yeah. any dudes who are there for the dads. I don't know any, I never met a husband until I saw you. Um, mm. So it was, we had a great team there as myself, a guy named Manny Reed, my boy Josh Dickerson, uh, Keisha Page, man. Um, the impact made there was huge. Ended it up uh, because of my work there. Um, a brother, a, a, a guy came through on a tour, 
liked what I was doing and was like, hey, man, I know this. I'm not trying to poach you or anything, but I know this nonprofit mm-hmm. you'd be perfect fit for. It's called the Posse Foundation. Yep. Um, I'm actually on the board there. And if you're interested, I, I could set up a meeting. And I'm like, you know, sounds dope. Getting kids, get kids into college. I'm like, that's the next step. You know, I've helped kids, you know, get into high school or stay in high school. And now it's the next step of trying to help those same kids get on the college campus. Uh, so we set that up, got an interview there, um, ended up getting the job. Another amazing four years. Posse Foundation is an amazing program. It's a college scholarship program where they send uh, 10 kids and groups to it together to universities who usually struggle to recruit talented kids from the Southeast. So my schools were Syracuse, George Washington, Texas A&M, and Brandeis University, which is in Boston. Okay. Um, we sent 10 kids to each of those schools with full tuition scholarships. That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. So um, help train them for eight months before they get to campus, then visit campus four times a year to you know make sure they're straight, meet with their mentors that are on campus. Um, that's how I met Dulce, who now works with uh, Marlon. Yeah, yep. Uh, he was on the La Posse Scholars there. Absolutely. Uh, a woman. Um, and then from there, uh, met a guy from, from my work there that there were it was a new charter school in, in Buckhead named Atlanta. I won't say the name because charter school in Buckhead. For sure. Uh, <laughs> ended up becoming the dean of students there. Um, yeah. And that is when I really realized I wanted to work with our kids only. Okay. Uh, well, not only, but predominantly our our kids yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. in our spaces. So I work with any kid as long as in our spaces, mm. our neighborhoods, our communities, um, our programs, things like that. Because um, my two yeah. years and my kids showed me that they don't care about us on a large scale. There are some yeah. really great people, but there's a lot of them that are just so conditioned to see us one way, so conditioned to assume certain things about us, so conditioned that they don't even understand what they're doing is detrimental to others. Um, and you so know, that, I, I, yeah. it, it's crazy you mentioned that, Jamal, because I mean, you know, we, we even chat often just about the importance of representation, you know, in our communities, first of all, but definitely for the youth in our communities. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. I think it's, it's become a nationwide conversation, which is amazing at this point where students need to see uh, successful versions of them, especially black students, right? Um, Because everything in our media is shooting in a totally different direction. So, you know, based on what you're saying, I mean, you know, you're obviously speaking to the importance of them seeing black men at that. Right. You know, our our young boys seeing black men who are leaders, um, who are intelligent, um, Mm -hmm. you know, who, who, who aren't, removed from their backgrounds, who aren't removed from the streets, aren't removed from the realities of, of hardships and challenges and, and things that honestly other races wouldn't understand because they haven't even lived through it. They, they don't have that attached to the color of their skin, right. um, but they need, they need help navigating those paths. Um, what are some of the experiences that you've had that have been impactful that, that have even shaped you while you're shaping younger students? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a couple, man. I remember some certain ones stick out. Like, like I said, the first brother who told me um, this one, he was having a kid right out of college. And I've been, I had coached him from the time he was 16 to he was graduating. He would just call me just all the time. And I'm like, man, I really appreciate you calling me. He's like, no, nah, coach, you don't understand. Like, you're the only, I've never seen a husband. I'm 21. Wow. The only husband I've known. And you're not some old dude from the church or, you know, my old principal or something like you, he's at this time when I was coaching them, dude, they were 17 under and I was 23, 24. 
Mm-hmm. So I wasn't that much older than them. Right. And, I, you know, and then by the time I got done coaching, I'm married, but I got married at 26. Okay. So they're like 21, 20, you know, graduating. High. And I'm, a, I'm married, I, you know, even though, I was, you know, I've been with Angela four years before I got married. So that, um, I remember the first time I realized how detrimental our media and music and our um, things we support could be. Uh, I was at Thomasville Heights and a young man was arguing with me that everybody fights. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, we we don't. He's like, so Mr. Mm-hmm. Coach Greer, you know, so you walking down the street, somebody just bumping your shoulder and they'll say nothing. I'm like, I'm gonna go home. <laughs> <We're not working. laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like yeah. people are crazy out here. I can't be right. not home to my family because a brother yeah. bumped people down the street. It's like, so you ain't gonna fight him. I'm like, no, you just lying because you know you, you work here. I'm like, brother, we don't I do I haven't got another fight in 15 years. Yeah. No, nah, man, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe it. And so we ended up having to call like all the staff. We all having a, this powwow in the teen center because he's not the only one that feels like this. Wow. And that's when I realized, yo, he's like, my grandma, my grandma got in a fight last week. I'm like, man, this is wild. And I'm yeah. like, we don't fight as adults. He was like, man, you even even the rich, even the rich niggas on TV fight. Come at Atlanta, Real House Hours, Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, this brother is 15. And that's and all he honestly thinking. believes yeah. that you still fight when you're grown. Right. Yeah. You know what that's, I'm saying? Hearing, hearing you say that, that, that really puts things in perspective for me because, you know, our upbringing is everything, right? And, and for us, all of us have very similar backgrounds. Like we, mom and dad married, you know, other, well, I know I, I have other siblings, but Marlon uh, is the only child, but. We just grew up in a in a Christian background, you know, going to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I had to really truly understand is like every that's not everybody's reality, right? right. Mm-hmm. I had best friends who when they came to my house, that's all they saw family. Mm-hmm. Now one of one of my best friends, his his parents have been divorced for years. My other homeboy, his dad in the picture, but they were never married. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. when I started looking around, I was like, yo, you know, cause I, it, to me, it's just normal. But just to hear you tell that story where a kid, his reality is that mm-hmm. we don't tolerate disrespect at all. And he's looking at someone bumping into him accidentally as disrespect and yeah, don't know how idea. to diffuse this situation and move on. So, right. man. Like in our, in our, in our upbringing, hip hop was like, just an expression, an art form. It wasn't a reality. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't assume that these dudes were actually still doing what they're doing. You know what mm. I mean? Like, you knew they, they might have yeah. done it in the past and they rap to get out of that, just like we saw dudes hoop to get out of their situation, things like that. But these kids, if that that's all they've seen. You know what I mean? Also, we grew up with you know, Cosby Show, Different World, uh, Family Matters, uh, uh, you know, Good Times, different fam- Black family show. Right, yeah. right. They're growing up blackish, maybe, if you watch it. Maybe. You know at, 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 the, at the best, at that. You know what I mean? Know? At the best, if you yeah. watch it. You know what I mean? They, they grew up with what you just said, like Real Housewives of Atlanta. Yeah. Like that's that's yeah. really what they're seeing in reality and, and it's skewed, bro, because exactly. number one. No, 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 no. Make it even more plain. They grew up with World Star. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's what they grew up with. They get yeah. Yeah. access to it. And it's like, dude, different worlds showed me I'm going to college. Even yeah. even in my knucklehead, in my most knuckleheaded state, 
in my mind, I was still going. I mean, my father said, boy, you are so unrealistic. You think you're going to college with your grades and your attitude. I'm like, yeah. Theo went. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, he, he didn't have good grades. He went to college. Denise yeah. went. She was easy. You know what I'm saying? That's but in my mind, that's, I, I knew I was going to college. That's interesting, yeah, though, yeah. man. Like, Ooh, to look baby, at all that kind of stuff. the programming that we had growing up as kids, it was it was there. It was put in place for us. Like th these are the things that we're doing, no matter our circumstances, right? Because even if you look at a show like A Different World, there were people from all different backgrounds yep. at HBCU, bro. And, and it's just amazing now. And I'm sure you know because we're in in a time where content is is so um, prevalent, and you have literally thousands and hundreds of thousands of people putting out video every couple of minutes you get a chance to choose what you want to see. And the unfortunate part is our youth is not necessarily choosing the, the, the right things to see. They're mm -hmm. kind of tainted with this reality of this false reality of what we call social media now, right? Like we are lucky enough to have grew up in an era where social, we saw social media come and we mm -hmm. see it turn to what it is now. It used right. to be for us just a, a way to, See who's in Athena, who's in Olympia, who's in Sparta, you know, but now it's like right. literally, bro, like this is their lifeline. This is all they know. When social media went down, what, a couple of weeks, like a week ago or whatever, like lost their mind. But folks lost their mind. And it wasn't until like six o'clock that I even noticed that it was down. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? like, even knew it was down was that there was supposed to be a parents' town hall for APS parents, mm. right? They sent mm. out a mass text saying, hey, it's been rescheduled because Facebook is down. Wow. I'm wow. Like, That's weird. That was like, it was like three or four o'clock when I got that text. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, oh, Facebook's down? You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, you at work, you don't, sometimes yeah. you want it, but not all the time. And so it's just weird. And the programming, and this is why, because of everything, like social media and the different kinds of media we have that the kids are being exposed to, this is why I am convince the only way we save our kids is through the school system, mm. right? It's like, if you look at any major movement that has been detrimental, it's through indoctrination through the schools, right? You indoctrinate mm. these kids first and make it tolerable. Whatever you're trying to accomplish, you make that tolerable. Because mm -hmm. who else has a young sponge, a young mind soaking up information? Right. Every, every day of that day. Every yeah. single day. Yeah. yeah. That's real. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if, if your kid goes to school, they spend more time on average with their teacher than a school year than they do with you. Ooh. So, so, based, so, because you just, you just blew my mind just then. How do you reprogram the school systems? Yes. How so, my, my biggest pet peeve with Atlanta or any other predominantly black school system is that we still indoctrinate our, our black children with the same white lies mm. that everyone else has been told for centuries, right? Mm. It's like, when I'm in Wisconsin and it's a white woman telling me Christopher Columbus discovered America, I'm like, you just saying that because you white and he white. Mm -hmm. I can imagine every black teacher I had also telling me that. Because mm. then it becomes real to me. Like, oh, for real, he, he must have. Yeah. You know what I mean? This whitewashed history that we go, I mean, dude, we took a tour in, in DC with the charter school, I was talking about the Buckhead. And we actually went to George Washington's plantation. We took black hmm. and brown children 
Plantation. Wow. And when I tell you the the tour guide was saying things like George Washington was known for being so friendly to his slaves that, you know, he actually let the, the men were on one in one side of the plantation, the women the other, and on the weekends they got to go and be with their families as long as they got back to work on time on Monday. I'm like, and we're supposed to like, you know, yeah. That's segregated. That. You know what I mean? I said, that's tearing your family apart. If you want to like Right. I said, so what happened if, if, if I didn't go back? Oh, well, right. you know, they, they just, they, it, it never really happened. I said, no, they would have been whipped. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. So I'm on this tour, basically me and Malcolm X. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we're having these yep. debriefs every night. And, I, and I'm going, oh, mind you, I'm the only, the only black male on the trip. There's only two mm-hmm. black employees, me and nurse, and the nurse. Sure. And she's a sweetheart. She's not really... She she came for the smoke. She she was yeah, like, but she would. Jamal, it's Jamal, like we... she's been there a minute, and <laughs> okay. she's not an admin. She's not an administrator. Yeah. So like, yeah. he goes off. She's going off on her boss. I'm going off. Mm-hmm. I'm going off on a coworker. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so it was just it's, it's crazy. So the reason I like where I work now is because we are making those steps towards doing and setting the example for what should be done. So one, uh, I work at the Rise Schools now. Uh, we're a KA charter school in East Point. Well, East Point, shut up, South Side. Your child, South Side, Southwest. It's yeah. um, K through five, uh, Rise Grammar, and then six through eight is our Rise Prep. Um, with our Rise High School, um, Rise College Prep coming soon for our high school, uh, 2023, fall 2023. Um, we are the only school in Georgia that has 52% black male faculty and staff. Man, Unbelievable. Um, important. Brother. Unbelievable, man. Yeah, when I, and I and I don't know how many others in the country do. I know there's a, I think there's a school in New York, and um, I forget the system. Uh, they do. They made that movie about them, um, saving Superman or becoming Superman, whatever that that charter school mm-hmm. network is in New York. I forget what it's called. I think there's one or so, one or so in D.C., but we're the only school in Georgia, um, and that's intentional. Uh, the time, the way we recruit staff, the way we train staff, um, and things like that. We are also a social justice um, initiative school. So um, social justice is um, ingrained in our curriculum every Friday. Uh, we call it Freedom Fridays. And so um, there are a couple of different um, areas of social justice and I'm, and I'm gonna get one of these wrong. And Dr. Kia James, please don't kill me if you hear this. <laughs> but, uh, environmental justice, um, race, and race, ethnicity, and gender justice. Um, and uh, God, I'm, I'm blowing my mind. We, anyway, we, oh, financial, financial justice. Financial. Okay. Um, so we That's talk awesome. about things like you know redlining. We talk about things like food mm. deficits. We talk about things, um, you know, going on that have been going on during the pandemic. You know, that, that kids are schools acting as if you not addressing it is as, as, like the kids aren't going to notice that is ridiculous. Man, you're this paying pa- more by not saying something than you are by actually addressing it. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, this pandemic, Jamal, we got to talk about that for a second in the world of of education. How, from your Mm -hmm. lens and from the the variety of ways that you've impacted the community and been in positions to speak to young black males and females, Mm -hmm. um, what is this pandemic going to do to our communities in terms of, uh, is it, I mean, I don't know, is it going to make that gap, that equity gap larger? Okay. 100%. Um, what do we do with that? I mean, goodness. Yeah, yeah, for a couple of reasons. I think the main the main reason is just access, 
right? It's like, what did you have access to during that pandemic? Did your parent have to work? Um, did they not? My children were blessed. One, they live with, with two people who work in, a, in working in schools, excuse me, um, who could get them laptops, who would order them books on Amazon, who got them workbooks throughout the summer to make sure they were, you know, on point. Um, but those who didn't, do we have kids coming back to school that have never, that, I think it was something like 40%, it was like something like over 30% of Atlanta public school students were chronically truant or not, or non-existent. Shut down, right? Wow. Um, they couldn't even find a lot of these kids. So, yeah, man, unbelievable. we were out for uh, almost a full year. They were out, almost, out for almost a full year. How do you make wow. that time up? How do you make that time up? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and then you factor in um, the burnout with the teachers. The main problem is people are trying to have us come back into schools if nothing happened. And it happened. Like, this actually happened. Like, people lost lives. People right. lost relatives. People lost their sanity. Like, these kids were either, let's say you're in a household that doesn't have food. You reply. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of kids, dude. I remember I working at Kennedy. I wouldn't even chase a kid. If a kid was skipping class, I'd be like, I'll catch him at lunch. If it was after lunch, I was like, I'll catch them tomorrow morning at breakfast. Yeah. Because a lot of these kids, those are the only two meals they're going to get, and they weren't going to miss it. Wow. So even knowing I'm looking for them, they still can come to the cafeteria to get that food. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So now mm -hmm. you take that kid and school's out. Man. How do, how do they eat all that time? If yeah, they're eating junk. They're eating junk. That's, that's what happened. They're eating if junk. You're, if, you're eating. If, if you're eating. If you're eating. If you're eating. If you're that's, in an abusive household, you're in that abusive household all the time. A lot of times school is your escape. You're in that household all day. Yeah. So when you see these kids come back in the uh, back in the school, like I was, um, I, you know, training with Slam, I had some kids and I was sent to a mom because, you know, a lot of people are complaining about the immaturity of the kids or the kids, mm -hmm. kids are, you know, so emotional or crying or this and that. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. I, I just, I'm, I'm a hard nose. My dad was a Marine. I get on my son for all that crying stuff too, unless it's legit. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we've all had to, my wife has had to train me on how to be nurturing and empathetic because, you know, she always point out, like, you don't know what's going on with them. They're not going to be mm -hmm. able to just tell you right. how they're feeling. And so sometimes I have to calm down my snapping um, mm -hmm. when she makes one of those points because it's like, we don't. You figure my son's six in sixth grade, but there's a, but technically he hadn't been to school since he was in fourth grade. Fourth grade. Yeah. Last time he was in school, day to day, was in fourth grade. Crazy. Until this year. Yeah. So socially, these kids are in fourth grade. Socially, your eighth graders are sixth graders. You know mm. what I mean? Your second graders are pre-K students. And that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, you see what I'm saying? So it's like you got kids coming into school first, second grade. Haven't they? Don't they can't read? They've been sitting at home or with grandma watching TV. Yeah, because if I gotta leave your grandma, grandma can work Google Classroom and Zoom and all right. that kind of stuff. So now you're talking about that gap. So the gap happens when you have two parents, and for every kid who had two parents in the household who could make sure that kid was getting all the educational support they needed, versus the kids who did not. And how do you how do you close that gap? Yeah, wow. that, that's um, that's something powerful that you said too, because when when we think about just the pandemic itself, right? For us, it was just, oh man, it was in the, in the house. We couldn't really go anywhere, but as adults, we can kind of move around. But we're also three blessed individuals, right? That we actually have a home where we're at. Right. And sometimes it's easy to forget mm -hmm. that, hey man, you might have 
like if 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 I'm upset at my wife or if my kids are getting on my nerves, I have a room that I can go to and get away from everybody, right? Mm-hmm. That's not the case for a lot of these kids. Like every you have four or five people in a one bedroom apartment mm-hmm. and there's nowhere to go and there's nothing, you know what I mean? And and we forget that. And, and so when I hear you talk about those things, it kind of just brings everything to light. Uh, a little bit more. It's just clear, right? There's there's a huge gap, and, and you have to fill that gap. You you mentioned slam um, athletics, and I I, I definitely want to make sure that we speak on that uh, before we end our conversation here. But just give us what was the the idea behind behind um, starting slam athletics, and also let people know exactly what that is. Yeah, definitely. So slam back in the day, I used to coach AU ball, and that was my AU uh, program. Um, shaping lives and motivating youth through athletics. That's what SLAM stands for. Um, and so it kind of morphed when I got tired of coaching because um, these parents are getting crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> crazy. So um, SLAM is uh, basically a sports sports career pathways program, um, teaching kids mm-hmm. different areas of sports that, that you can have a career in um, and, and be empowered through. So. Um, training is one of them. And so I train kids. Um, and it, the training piece just kind of blew up during the pandemic or as it mm-hmm. was kind of going up. Oh, well, mm-hmm. we were getting back outside um, because kids have been sitting inside the house for so long. Okay. A lot of parents wanted something safe for them to do. So we started having youth boot camps. Um, and a big piece of that is also helping these kids, uh, especially kids in our community, create a healthy lifestyle um, and learn how to work out, see the benefits of working out. Um, <clears throat> and things like that and then eventually train them to then be the trainers of the boot camp for younger kids mm, um, right right and so it's been it's been the response has been great um i didn't you know i didn't suspect it was going to go that be that great that quickly um but word spreads through the south side um also just providing that kind of youth sports performance programming affordable sports uh, performance on our side of town there are there there aren't any really um you got uh, Bo Bell, the trainer, who's shot at Bo Bell. He's, a, he's an OG in this thing. He's had pros and does a great job with kids on the side of town. But other than that, there aren't a lot of other um, programs like mine. Bo basically concentrates on basketball, and I do a lot. I do basketball, but I also, we also do strength and conditioning, speed and agility, um, okay. which a lot of our kids don't get, and you won't get unless you go north of 20 and want to pay a ton of money, which a lot of our families can't have. So. Wanted to give them access to that kind of programming while teaching kids um, to take care of their health, gain confidence. You know, like kids who lost tons of weight, um, gain confidence through their abilities, increasing you know the sport they want to play and things like that. Um, so it's been a really blessing, man. And um, looking definitely looking forward to um, growing the uh, sports career pathways part now that schools are back open and things like that. And so what we'll be doing is partnering with different organizations like the YMCA or uh, schools and things like that to where, um, like say for instance, if you go to a YMCA game, basketball game, there's somebody running that clock. There's somebody mm-hmm. running the game. There's somebody keeping the stats. There's somebody, um, sometimes we could recording the game and programs that you're paying these adults, you know, pennies on the dollar to do this. And that's why it's a lot of it runs, unorganized it runs. Well, all of these places struggle with team programming, right? Because we always say teens will, will vote with their feet. If they like it, they'll walk into your program. If they don't, they'll walk right out. Yeah. Um, and so what we want to do is um, partner with these organizations to basically hire the kids who we have in our program to 
referee um, to run your scores, your stats, to video record uh, record the games and uh, make highlight reels and do post game interviews and things like mm-hmm. that. A lot of people don't understand how much money when you go to a basketball game or a football game. The players are making a small fraction of the money. They're mm-hmm. making a lot of money mm-hmm. as far as with the, with, the, with the game itself is generating. That's just a, that's right. just a piece right. of it. Dude, a lot of people don't know NBA referees start at six figures. Mm-hmm. Learn that tonight. Started $105,000. Over $100,000 you start as a as a first-year NBA referee. And you're wow. talking about – you're not even getting the chance to work playoffs because you're a rookie. Um, so you're talking about, what, October to – shoot, April? April. Wow. $100,000. Yeah. Plus, plus I, per diem. Plus right. travel. Uh, <laughs> the business within the business. I heard that, heard that term earlier today, man. Like yeah. the business so within like, the business is what you're teaching them. Yeah, so dude, I, when I was refereeing high school basketball, you can make ten, twelve thousand in a season, mm. easy. Mm-hmm. Then you talk about rec ball. There's, there's guys, there's a co- league in Cobb County dudes paying you thirty dollars cash per game. The games are two sixteen minute halves, running clock. Wow, you know what I mean? So yeah, there's a lot of money. So that's how, and I want so you can get these kids those kind of jobs early. Imagine if you had started refereeing and you were sixteen at the Y making. $200 a weekend. Yeah. Right. You know I mean? yeah. And then, then taking all of that and teaching them financial literacy. So teaching yeah. them how to run over Roth IRA um, as soon as you start getting a paycheck. That's um, awesome. Uh, and things like that. So that's what Slam is, man. Um, and we are, if you want to check us out, we're uh, slam.athletics on uh, Instagram, slam.athletics on Twitter, slam.athletics on Facebook. Um, awesome. And if you're interested in getting involved with the Sports Career Pathways, you know anybody that would like a mentee and they work in the, you know, AJC or anything like that, that, you know, those kind of career pathways, definitely let me know. Dope, dope. Well, look, Jamal, man, hey, it's it's been a pleasure, bro. Like, it's always rewarding to see people that you literally grew up with, became became men with, see them still progressing. You know what I mean? So uh, thank you for your time, bro. We really do appreciate it. Uh, Mo, you got any any final thoughts, bro? No, man. Um, you know, I just, I mean, I think, you know, Jamal, just big ups to you, man. You are um, an example of somebody that is pouring back into the community, making sure that this next generation and generations to come, honestly, because as you're impacting this generation, that's going to change the, the legacy of their entire family, man. So thank you for the work that you're doing in the community. Um, thank you for sharing your gifts uh, with them um, unselfishly and, and keep up the good work, man. God bless you. I appreciate that, man. Absolutely, absolutely. The Black Men Think Podcast.